It's wonderful to be back and able to just look at God's Word again today. Uh, such a privilege, such an honor to uh, be able to share what the Lord has shown me from His Word over the years, or some of what He's shown me over the years with you today. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you that once again we can take your word, which is holy, which you have inspired, which you have kept, and you have passed down from generation to generation until it has arrived in our hands. We thank you for the privilege. We thank you for the, the incredible gift that we have of being able to read your word and learn of you. And so today we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would take your words, that you would make them alive to us, that you would breathe them into us. Lord, we pray that your word today would change us, that it would educate us in the things that pertain to you. And so we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to read today from 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 3 to verse 16, but I really want to focus in on the last few verses of this passage. I want to read the whole passage because it's such a wonderful passage, one of my favorite passages in, in the whole of Scripture. Uh, but also it will give us some context so that when we come to the last few verses, we will have that context to, to understand and interpret them from. So let's start out in verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, 
Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This passage ends with Peter exhorting those that he's writing to, to be holy in all their conduct. And I want you to note right at the very beginning of this message that the people that Peter is writing to here are people that he says are born again. They're people that he says have an inheritance, have a living hope. They are people that are being kept by God's power through faith for the salvation that's going to be revealed in the last time. And they are people that love Jesus and believe in Jesus, even though they haven't seen him. They're filled with inexpressible joy. And according to what he said right at the very beginning of this letter, they are the elect of God, chosen by God. That's what he called them. And so we see that as he writes this final exhortation that we read about, this exhortation to be holy in all their conduct, he's not speaking to people that are outside the church. He is talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. And I believe that if Peter was to stand before us today, he would give us who believe in the Lord Jesus the same exhortation that he was giving to the people back then. In this passage, he gives the reason for this exhortation, why we should be holy in all our conduct. And the reason is found in Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 14, which he quotes at the very end of this passage. And Leviticus 11:14 says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, God is holy, and because He is holy, He wants His children to be holy. And this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the holiness of God and what that means to us as His people. The holiness of God is one of the great themes of Scripture. If there is any truth about God that is clearly established in Scripture, it's this truth that God is holy. Do you know that in Scripture, God never declares Himself to be love, but He declares Himself to be holy eight times. That's Him saying, I am holy. There's not a place where God says, I am love, but there, on eight occasions, He says, I am holy. Do you know that in Scripture, God is declared to be love only two times. Both of the times that He's declared to be love it is done by the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4. So you'll only find that phrase, God is love, in that one passage in 1 John chapter 4. And yet, God is declared to be holy 42 times in Scripture. In heaven, we get a revelation or a glimpse into what's happening in heaven, both in Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelation chapter 4. And what we see is we see the seraphim, we see the living creatures before the throne of God, crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's quite noticeable to, to see that they are not crying out, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's a cry about God's holiness and not about God's love that fills the atmosphere of heaven. And yet, there often seems to be a great reluctance amongst people, 
even the people of God today to talk about the holiness of God. It's almost as if the very thought of the holiness of God carries some sort of negative connotation with it in our minds. It's like we find it hard to equate a holy God with a God of love. It's almost as if in our minds we have set holiness and love as being opposites. And there are some that even believe, and some preachers and teachers in, in, in the world today, that even believe that the holiness of God, or the message about the holiness of God, is just an Old Testament matter, whereas the New Testament message is really only about the love of God. And so you will hear some people say that we don't need to hear about God's holiness today. We only need to hear about His love. We only need to talk about His love. Because God's holiness is not really relevant for Christians. Do you know that this is not true? The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, love or the love of God is spoken about directly 90 times. In the New Testament, the holiness of God is referred to over and over again. This passage that we've just read here in 1 Peter is just one example of that. In fact, in the New Testament, the Greek word that is translated holy in its various forms uh, is found 270 times in just the New Testament. You see, the holiness of God is a New Testament theme, just as it is an Old Testament theme. And the love of God is an Old Testament theme, just as it is a New Testament theme. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He has not changed. He is love and He is holy. He has always been love and He has always been holy. And He will forever be love and He will forever be holy. You see, the God of the Bible is both holy and love simultaneously at the same time. In God, perfect holiness and perfect love coexist in perfect harmony. God's love does not diminish His holiness, and His holiness does not diminish His love. In fact, we cannot understand God's love until we understand His holiness, because His love is revealed to us in the light of His holiness. We cannot talk about God without talking about His holiness, just as you cannot talk about Him without talking about His love. These two aspects of God's nature are not mutually exclusive. And if we're going to accurately understand and know the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible as He truly is, then we must understand Him exactly as Scripture reveals Him to us. We cannot try to turn Him into something that He's not. And that means that we have to understand Him and we have to see Him and relate to Him as both being a holy God and a loving God at the same time. So let's move on and let's consider what God means when He says, I am holy. When God says, I am holy, what is He referring to? He's referring to the fact that He is completely set apart from creation, that He is totally distinct from all created things, that there is no creature no matter how great or glorious a creature may be, that is like him or that can compare to him. In his absoluteness of perfection, of majesty, 
of glory and of wisdom. There's no creature that, can, that we can compare to God in these incredible uh, attributes that He has. In His magnificence, in His sovereign power, who will we compare with Him? And so when we say God is holy, what we're really saying is we are saying God is matchless, that He is without peer, that there is no one that we can compare Him to. Scripture is filled with declarations and revelations about God's holiness. It was to His holiness that God was referring when speaking through the prophet Isaiah, He said this, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? You see, when God asks that question, He is referring to His holiness. It was a revelation of God's holiness which Job received from God at the very end of his trial, that season of suffering and uh, temptation that he endured. It was to God's holiness that the Apostle Paul was referring when he wrote to the saints in Rome and he said these words, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul was talking there about the holiness of God. He was saying, who can we compare with him? Who is like him? Who has ever been his instructor? Does he need a counselor? You see, God is holy. He is set apart from his creation. And then when Paul wrote to Timothy concerning God, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 to 16, he said this. He said, He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You see, he's talking there about His holiness, God's holiness. The fact that God is holy means two things. Firstly, because God is holy, because there's no one like Him, because He's greater than all and above all, and that from Him all things came, we are to worship and serve Him and Him alone. Because He's holy, we are to worship and serve Him and Him alone. You see, God's holiness makes Him worthy of our undivided allegiance. His holiness, in fact, demands our undivided allegiance. We have a demand placed on us as His creation, as His creatures, to serve Him because of His matchlessness, to worship Him because of His glory, of His majesty and His sovereignty, because of who He is. To not do so is actually one of the most heinous sins that can be committed. To worship something else, to worship another creature, to worship anything other than God, this holy God, this matchless God, is one of the most heinous of sins. And Scripture calls it idolatry. It's the root of all sin. Whenever we as people worship and serve anything other than 
this holy God of the Bible, we will end up getting into all kinds of wickedness and debauchery and sin. Because idolatry, worshipping and serving creatures or created things rather than the Creator who is holy, is the root of all sins. This is what God defines as being unholy. And this is what invokes His wrath. Yet, this is what man has done right from the very beginning. We've all done it. We've all worshipped and served created things, whether it's ourselves, whether it's other people, whether it is things that God has created that are around us, whether it's money. We've all at, at some time worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. This is why the Bible says we have all sinned and we all fall short of His glory. So that's the first thing that we see. God's holiness means that we are to worship and serve Him only because He is holy. Secondly, because God is holy, anything that is set apart by Him or consecrated to Him for His worship or His service is also considered to be holy. This is why in Scripture we see Scripture talking about holy ground. Remember, Moses was told to take off his shoes and the Lord said to him, the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. That ground was holy because it had been set apart by God for that particular time, for that particular purpose. And because he had set it apart for that, it was called holy. The Bible talks about holy angels. It talks about holy implements of worship. It talks about the tabernacle and the temple being holy. It talks about the sacrifices that were offered to God being holy, the Sabbath being holy, and God's law being holy. Why are they holy? Because they have all been consecrated and set apart for God and for His purposes. Do you know that this also means that God's people are holy? Why are they holy? Because they have been chosen by God and set apart by Him for Himself. This means that everyone who believes in and belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ is holy. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. He says, and by that will, that's God's will, by God's will, we, that's all of us who believe in and belong to Jesus, have been sanctified. Now that word sanctified is just a fancy word which means have been made holy. So we could read this verse like this. By God's will, all of us who believe in and belong to Jesus have been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I want you to notice here that it's not because of our will or our choice that we are determined to be holy or have been made holy. It's by the will of God. He chose us to be His special people. And that choice is what makes us holy. It's not by our works that we're made holy. It says here, the offering of the body of Christ has made us holy and consecrated us to God. It's through His offering. It's through what He's done that we have been made holy. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, let me just read it to you. He, that's God, chose us in Him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Let me read that again. It says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Our will, our deeds had nothing to do with it. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in His sight and He did it before the foundation of the world, before we were even created. And it was His choice of us that makes us holy. That's what caused us to be considered and causes us to be considered by God to be holy. This is why the scriptures repeatedly refer to God's people as saints. Do you know that the word saint simply means a holy one? One that's been made holy, one that is holy, one that is sanctified. You see, everyone that God has set apart and chosen and consecrated to himself, every one of his people is a saint and is holy. And that includes you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you belong to him, if you've been baptized in his name, you have a faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that God calls you a saint? If you are Christ's, the Bible says you are holy. And why are you holy? You're holy because of God's choice and you're holy because of the blood of Christ. Peter referred to the church as being a holy nation right here in the, the very letter that we have read from in this message. God's people are His treasured possession and that makes them holy. I want to ask you today, do you see yourself in this way? Do you see yourself as being someone that God has made holy? That God has declared to be set apart and consecrated to Him? Because that's what the word holy means. Do you look at yourself in the mirror and say to yourself, I am holy. I am holy not because of what I've done. I'm holy because of what God has done. I'm holy because He has chosen me. I'm holy because He has set me apart for Himself. I'm holy because He has consecrated me through the blood of Jesus for His purposes, for His worship, for His service. Do you see your brothers and sisters in Christ in this light? When we look at each other in the church, do we look at each other and say, that person is holy, that person is holy because God has chosen them, because God has called them, because Christ has died for them, because His blood has been sprinkled on their lives. That's the way God looks at us. And that's the way we should look at ourselves. That's the way we should look at the church. We are holy unto God. We have been set apart for Him. We have been consecrated to Him. And that makes us holy in His eyes. Do you know that it's because of this fact, because God has chosen us, because God has called us, because He has consecrated each and every one of us for His purposes, for His service, for His worship. That's why the Apostle Peter tells us to be holy in all our conduct. This is why God says, be holy because I am holy. What does God mean when He tells us to be holy because He is holy? He is telling us that because He is holy, because He's matchless, because He is without comparison, because of who He is, 
And because He has chosen us for Himself, we must be completely dedicated and consecrated to doing His will and to serving His purposes. We must be consecrated to Him. He's telling us to fully live our lives solely for Him, simply because of who He is. That's what He's saying. Be holy because I am holy. And that's God's command to each and every single one of us. You see, because of the special relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ, and because He's chosen us and called us to be a part of His precious, special, redeemed people, we are to live our lives and conduct ourselves in lives, in our lives, ever conscious of His holiness, ever conscious of who He is and what His will for our lives is. We're not to uh, conform our lives to the way of life that the people around us have. We are to be holy. We're to be set apart for God, consecrated to Him. We're not to live our lives the way we used to live them before we had this knowledge of God, before we had come to faith in Christ. Instead, we are to live our lives in the way that the Lord Jesus taught His disciples to live, in the way that we use our tongues, in the way that we use our bodies sexually, in the way that we relate to our spouses if we're married, in the way that we seek to find a spouse if we are still single, in the way that we treat one another in church, in the way that we relate to people outside the church, whether that be our enemies, whether it be government, whether it be people in the business world, whether it be family members that do not know Christ. Every single facet and every single aspect of our lives, the way we as parents relate to our children, and uh, the way that we relate to our parents, every single one of these facets of our lives needs to be lived with this knowledge that we have been set apart for God, we have been consecrated to Him, and that as His holy people, there is a way that He has given us to live our lives and conduct ourselves in life. In, in life. There should be no part of our lives that is not wholly consecrated to Him that does not serve and worship Him, that does not bear witness to who He is, to His holiness. Do you know that this kind of holiness in us is God's great pursuit? Everything that God has done for us, all that He has given to us, whether it's in the past, whether it's now, or anything that He will give to us in the future, is so that we might be a holy, consecrated, pure, and undefiled people before Him. A people unlike the people of the world. A people that are wholly committed to His service, to the honor and glory of His holy name. He chose us, as we saw earlier, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world for this very purpose. He sent Jesus to die on the cross so that He might sanctify us. He has given us the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures to sanctify us, to make us holy. And Hebrews chapter 12 says that He disciplines us so that we might share in His holiness. 
Romans chapter 8 verse 28 to 29 says that in all things God is working for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And verse 29 gives us the reason so that we might be made like Jesus in every way, so that we might be holy unto God even as Jesus is holy. But you see, as we saw in this passage, that not only is God working in our lives towards this end, but there is also a responsibility that we have as God's people to live our lives, to conduct ourselves in a manner that is holy and set apart to God. This is why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is why Paul told the Corinthian believers not to be yoked together with unbelievers. Why did he say that? Because he knew that if we were yoked together with unbelievers, we would be stopped from being consecrated and set apart for God in the way that he desires. This is why God speaking to his people in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17 to 18 says these words, Go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's a call to holiness. This is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, Paul wrote the following words. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You see, once again, there's another call coming from the Apostle Paul towards holiness in our lives, getting rid of everything that defiles body and spirit, our bodies and spirit, whatever that might be. We're to have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. That's what it means to be holy. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 describes holiness in this way. We are not to present our members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but to present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and our members we are to present to God as instruments for righteousness. That's a description of what it means to be holy. We are to present our bodies, Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. My prayer is that today we will all see, number one, that God is holy. Number two, that holiness is beautiful to God and He desires it in His people. When God looks at His people and He sees holiness, it's like we've been adorned beautifully for Him. Thirdly, I want you to see that we are holy, that we've been made holy by God's will through the offering of Jesus Christ at the cross. And number four, that because we are holy and He has made us holy, we must live our lives and conduct ourselves in lives, in our lives, the way we behave in a manner that is holy. I, I, I pray today that every single one of us 
we'll take time right now just to consecrate ourselves towards what Peter has exhorted us. And that's to be holy in all our conduct. Because God, the God that we trust, the God that we belong to, the God who has chosen us is holy. Maybe you want to take some time right now, wherever you are, just to pray and just to commit yourself and consecrate yourself to living life, your life, in every facet, in the way that God desires you to live. You may right now be feeling like you haven't done that. And there may be certain areas of your life that you're convicted of right now, that you haven't been set apart for God. You haven't been living in the way that God has actually chosen and called you to live as His holy people, as one of His saints. Why don't you take time right now just to confess that before the Lord? The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So why don't we just take some time, wherever you are right now, and just consecrate yourself afresh today. Consecrate yourself to the Lord. Consecrate yourself to our Heavenly Father, our Holy God. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you today that your word is alive and active, that it has the power to convict. It has the power to show our hearts and the state of our hearts to ourselves. It has the power, Lord, to reveal areas of our lives that are not what they should be. And it also has the power to transform us into what you have called us to be. And so I pray that you would take this word and, Father, by your Spirit, you would minister it to each and every listener. Lord, that it might accomplish everything that you sent it to do, that it might bring forth holiness in all our life, in every facet of our lives. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for hearing us and we thank you for calling us and we thank you for choosing us and setting us apart for yourself, calling us holy. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. I want to just finish this message by just pronouncing a, a benediction over you. It comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 to 24. It's the words of the Apostle Paul that he penned at the very end of his letter to the Thessalonians. And I just want to read this to you and just pronounce it over you. It says this, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. May the God who has begun a good work in you carry it on to completion until the very day of Jesus Christ. It's been wonderful to be with you and may the Lord keep you and may he work fully his purposes in your life. God bless you.